How's it that you feel about those tests that ask you to give your, your first response? You know, the ones that, that tend to have that five-option uh, uh, um, answer? Uh, do you strongly disagree? Do you disagree? Are you neutral? Do you agree or do you strongly agree? Quick, answer it. Don't think about it. Just tell us your response. You know, that whole call to make a choice can feel like an overwhelming pressure. I, I actually use one of these type of uh, surveys uh, in the pre-marriage work that I do. There's an outside group that uh, provides this, and they're very skilled at being able to relate responses. But I, I always ask the couple, uh, how did you feel about that? And it seems like every single time, well, there were some questions I just didn't know how to uh, respond to. It's like I, I didn't know what they were asking, and I didn't. We get that feeling. We don't want to be wrong. We want to be right. What if I answer this wrong, and I regret answering it, and they, they take my answer, and they don't understand it? We can feel the pressure so much seems to be riding on it. Well, today we're actually going to talk about chosen faith. Chosen faith. It turns out that our faith requires a choice and that our choice matters. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 24, specifically verses 1 through 28 but we, we won't read the whole of the text. text. We'll, we'll refer to that whole passage, but we'll read just a portion of it. What takes place in Joshua 24 is this formal covenant uh, um, affirming ceremony. So there were these covenants, a style of covenant back in the ancient days, and not just for the people of Israel, but uh, for surrounding cultures as well. And they refer to it now as a, as a suzerain vassal covenant. So a suzerain is some kind of an overlord or a superior king, and a vassal is some kind of underlord or a, a lesser king. In, this, in the situation for God's people, the suzerain or the sovereign is, is um, God, and the vassals are God's people. And the way that these covenants work out is that there's a preamble, and then there's this list, this history of how the suzerain, or in our case, God, has provided for the people. And then there uh, comes next, after this wonderful story of provision, comes this stipulations. Okay, God has provided all this. The sovereign uh, has provided all this. Now, here's what your response needs to look like. And then there is, that's followed by some witness uh, language, like who gives testimony to this, who serves as witness. And then there's this uh, list of blessings and curses. And so in our text, we find uh, uh, this taking place um, at the very end of Joshua's life. If you have your Bible, and we'll put it on the screens as well, but I always encourage you to have your Bible, uh, we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 24, verses um, 14 and 15. Hear the word of God. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods of your fathers, uh, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God bless our time together as well. This is a hugely important chapter. Now, I realize even just saying that, we have actually said that many times during this series. As we've looked at what it means to be faith people, and we've gone back into the Old Testament, we've, we've found these, these hinge points, these, these threshold passages, um, and, and they have such importance to the rest of the story of the Bible. Well, this is one of those threshold passages. It's at the end of Joshua's life. That means that, that um, uh, this season of, of the Exodus and, and, and Moses is coming to an end because the people now are dwelling in the promised land. And they're being asked to make this commitment, this response to what all God has done, them, uh, done for them to get them to where they are. And the rest of the Old Testament will be a description of how people lived out the pledge, the response that the people were making on this particular day. It's an important passage, an important chapter. And it talks about choosing. And so I thought for our time today is what we're going to look at is we're going to see what we can learn about this choice for God that we're called to make. Here's the first one. Choosing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the best choice we could ever make. Choosing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the best choice we could ever make. You know, we live in an era of choice. Even during a pandemic, you can walk into uh, any big box store, any grocery store, and just be overwhelmed by the choices that we get to make. In fact, if, if you um, uh, listen to music online, you know, it's, it's no longer I only have the choices of these cassette tapes or eight-track tapes. Um, uh, we have online streaming of music. In fact, Amazon calls their music package unlimited. We have unlimited choices uh, before us. It's an era of choice. And it turns out that we're actually hardwired to make choices. We've been given a frontal lobe that, that weighs and balances and, and considers, we, we cognitively consider things. We have an amygdala and a hypothalamus that, that gets us uh, ready to respond to more dramatic situations and brings feeling and, and, and that kind of response into it as well. We live in the age of choice and we're people hardwired to, cho- to choose. And so we consider what's good. Maybe we ask what's better. Maybe we can even consider what is best. Well, there's a list that's provided uh, in the passage, before we get to the part we read, uh, the preamble begins, and, and there's this, uh, um, uh, this word that Joshua speaks, thus says the Lord. It's an important expression. Even when Joshua says, thus says the Lord, we're reminded that our God is a God who speaks to us. Our God is a God who speaks to us. He chooses individuals through whom he might speak But our God is one who talks, who communicates. And then uh, when God begins to speak, he provides this long history of the Lord providing 
And he begins, he begins by talking about Abraham before Abraham was even um, given the opportunity to respond. He talks about Abraham's dad, Terah, in the land uh, beyond the Euphrates. And so then he goes on into the story about, about Abraham and Isaac, God providing Isaac to Abraham, and Isaac has Jacob and Esau. He goes on and describes how the people were enslaved in Egypt and he provided Moses and how he provided the plagues for Egypt so that the Egyptians would let the Israelites, the Hebrews, go. And then he, he tells them about the Red Sea and the wilderness and he reminds them about, remember, you faced the Amorites, you, you faced all these other people groups, you were at Jericho, I was there and provided for your victories. It's a wonderful story of God providing in the midst of the story, like I mentioned, there's this description of Esau. So if you remember the story, there's Jacob, who's the grandson of Abraham. And Jacob has, um, uh, there's Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. And Isaac has both Jacob and Esau. And Jacob gets the blessing, but Esau gets the land right away. In fact, the people of God in their, in their travel through the wilderness on their journey toward the promised land were rebuffed by the people that descended from Esau. And it can be so tempting, the way it's described there, it can be so tempting of going, you know what, how come, how come we didn't get our land sooner? And to say yes to God, to, to be the children of God is to say yes to God's plan. And it can be tempting to go, you know what, I like these other plans. Esau already had a land. They've been in that land for hundreds of years. And we're still wandering. And, and we're the chosen people. And it can be tempting to, to want to choose other than what God has for us. But at the end of this whole description, we find in verse 13, God saying, I gave you a land on which you did not labor. Um, and, and I've given you cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. God provided you know, scholars refer to this as part of salvation history, that, that God has been a saving God from the very beginning. In this story, there's this thread that runs all the way through Scripture. It's a story of God saving and reaching out. Now, we know of it from a New Testament perspective. We know of it from verses like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, um, but would have eternal life with God. We, we know from verses like Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's that story of redemption, of salvation history. Do you recall the story? I've moved on your behalf, God says. In our family, when it comes to making choices for the good, the better, or the best, we just shut down when we come to a donut shop. What do you do? We don't often go into a donut shop, but we call it the donut shop syndrome. And we go in there and we find this whole case of, do I go for the maple glazed? Or, or, or should I go for the old fashioned? What about that chocolate cake donut with the chocolate icing? Or, or how about that jam filled one? Or the one with sprinkles? Should I, should I go for an eclair? And we're overwhelmed. And as God tells the story, he's saying, listen, there's just but one clear choice. It, 
if it were a donut shop, it would be like the, the donut itself was casting out light, saying, Bob, choose me. I'm the donut for you. So God tells the story. I'm the God for you. I am the God. And I want you to choose me. I'm the best choice. God is the clear winner. The best choice ever. It's not the God of our making, but the God who is. You know, it's interesting. When the Hebrews go on, when the Israelites go on to tell the story, when they make their commitment later in our passage, I think it's verse 17. When they tell the story, all they mention is what God had done for them during their life what they could recall in their own life. And you see that that can be kind of a more tenuous thing, right? We're always thinking, well, what has God done for me lately? Here's what I'm basing on. And so we're always open then to, well, what might be a better option for me today? But God has that longer story. I am the God. The ancient God who created all things and called Abraham is the best choice we could ever make. The second thing we learn is this. God's choice forces us to choose. God's choice forces us to choose. Um, and thankful for Trent Butler and his work and his commentary uh, uh, for this as well. Um, okay, so at home, I have this way, uh, when, I'm, when I have my phone and I'm texting, and by the way, uh, self-confession here, world's slowest texter. Uh, my my thumbs move at a snail's pace. So I'm intent on making that thing, and I, I still text with full sentences and punctuation, all right? And so it just takes me a while, and so I'm full on into my texting. And Vicky says something to me, and I hear the voice, I hear the noise, I, I know she's saying something to me. And I, at best, I give her a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, not listening. And Vicky has to stop me, Bob, Bob, pay attention. We find Joshua in this situation saying, pay attention. You you need to know what's going on here. He says in verse 14, now therefore. Now therefore, at least that's the way the ESV translates this single Hebrew word. It's an interesting word because it can mean now and, uh, and yet there's so much more weight to it than just what we might assign to the word now. The root of the word has this idea of respond, speak, talk. And so this has been said that, that God has done all these things. And so now Joshua says, you need to respond to this. Now, therefore, what, what we just described requires a response. God's choosing of you forces us to choose. And so in verse 15, we find that Uh, that call. Choose this day. Choose this day. Make your choice. Whom are we going to listen to? Whom are we going to follow? Whom are we going to obey? You know, Jesus, in his dialogue with the disciples, uh, made that statement. Uh, We find it in John's gospel. He goes, "Um, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's true. The disciples did not choose Jesus. He chose them. In fact, predestination, election, God choosing is throughout the whole of the Bible. It's from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. God is a predestining, electing, choosing God. We could not choose God except for God choosing us first. 
We are saved by grace through faith, and even faith itself is a gift. But once God chooses, once God um, quickens, once God elects, once God predestines, there's a choice to be made. How will we respond? Once elected, now what? The ball is in our court. And so Jesus who says, it's not that I chose you, but uh, not that you chose me, but I chose you, is also the one who said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. There's a choice to make. God, through Jesus, chose the disciples. And he said, come follow me. Jesus chose them, but they had a choice to make. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a story that, uh, that Jesus tells. He goes, um, he makes a uh, comparison. He goes, there's a wise man, and well, he built his house on a rock, and the storms came, and the floods came up, and but his house stood firm. And then there was a foolish man. He built his house on the sand, and the, and the storms came, and the waters came up, and the house was just washed away. And what was the difference between the two? The wise man is the one who hears and obeys. He makes that choice. He makes the choice. She makes the choice to obey. And the foolish one is just hears but doesn't obey. We cannot get around this part. We have to choose. And our choice matters. Even not choosing is a choice. The next thing we learn then is that the choice before us is this. Whom will we serve? Whom will we serve? In verse 14, Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him. Fear the Lord and serve him. This idea of fear, we've talked about it many times, and if you've been in Bible studies, you've probably heard it before, that this idea of fear is be in awe and wonder. And maybe with just a little bit of dash of fright. In fact, we find people, when they experience God's presence uh, throughout Scripture, that their, that their response often, the majority of times, is that they are afraid. And the, the words then come from whatever... Uh, messenger is coming from God that, that, that uh, do not be afraid. But there's that natural reaction. God is other. God is so much more. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Be in awe of Him. And serve Him. Serve Him. Work for Him. Worship Him. You know that song uh, uh, came out a long time ago by Bob Dylan. Um, got to serve somebody, got to serve somebody. In fact, the refrain uh, goes like this, you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. It, it, it's going to be something. There's going to be something that fills in that blank. You're going to have to serve something, whether it's your own dreams or your insecurities or the expectations of others or um, uh, the way of the culture or, or the uh, direction of your company. You're, we're going to serve something. So we have a choice to make about who it is that we're going to serve. And here's the way that Joshua lays out the choices for the people of God of his time. He goes, listen, you can choose God, but if you consider that evil, if you consider serving God evil like it's wrong, well, then go ahead, choose the, the God of your family. Referred to as the God beyond the rivers, that, that the God that your family has just kind of 
served. And maybe that's a choice that we have before us that we can say that, you know, my family's kind of Christian and, and gosh, I'm going to serve the God of kind of my family. And, and it's just the way our family does it and we just inherited it. It's just the way it is. The other choice is you, they could serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land they dwelled. And so maybe we could refer to that as the cultural gods. And so before us is this choice, are we going to serve the God? But if we consider that evil or wrong, then we can say, well, I'm just going to do my version of God or I'm going to do the cultural version of God. But if you choose God, Joshua says, if you choose God, then let us serve in sincerity and faithfulness. This idea of sincerity and faithfulness, that we would be all in, that it would be true and full of integrity, that it would be total and complete, that it would be faithful. No poser faith, no pretend faith. And so we ask ourselves, whom will we serve? You know, borrowing from Joshua's line, we could say, um, as for me and my house, we will serve blank. What fills in that blank? Next, we find that uh, the best choice is also an impossible choice. The best choice is also an impossible choice. The people said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord. We will serve the Lord for He is our God. And so then Joshua, you, you would think like, going, yes, they said yes, they're going to serve God. And the band kicks in and the lights start going all around and everybody's, you know, throwing it in together and having a good time. Let's go ahead and have snacks and treats. But Joshua responds instead, you instead, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. What? a buzzkill. What a party pooper this Joshua is. He says three things. You are not able to serve the Lord. We can wonder, is this based on his past experiences? Like he remembers all the way up to this day and, and just, listen, I, I've, I've seen your grandparents, I've seen your parents. You, you're, you say yes today, but you're not going to be able to do it. Or maybe it's current observations that he has. And he, he knows his people and he goes, listen, I know you, Ralph. <laughs> I know you, Susie. I know you. I, I've observed you. I know you and you and you and you. And you can't serve God. Maybe it's because he's being prophetic and he's just kind of, he has this insight, this intuition, maybe even a God-inspired thought about what the people are going to be like in the centuries to come. And he goes, listen, I know. Here's the word. This is the word coming to you. You can't do this. The God that is, is no God to be trifled with. He is a holy God. Not only can't you do it, you need to know that God is a holy God. He's other. He's completely pure. He's incredibly righteous and without fault. And God is jealous. He's not jealous of other gods. He's not jealous of other dreams or visions or hopes. He's jealous of our love and our devotion and our worship. 
This is no God to be trifled with. He's demanding and severe and unwavering and other. Is he grace-filled? Is he loving? Absolutely. But to say he's loving is not to reduce at all his demands or his severity or his unwavering nature. You know, our culture today is a culture that is so casual. So casual. We trifle with everything. We've perfected the art of casualizing. But when it comes to worshiping God, any introduction of surrounding gods, poser gods, amounts not just to casualizing faith, but to profaning it. The problem is we can't help ourselves. And yet hope exists. We, we're not a people without hope. But we do have to realize we can't help ourselves. We are given to profaning God time and time again. But hope does exist. Jesus is God's answer to this problem. We know that in Romans, the book of Romans chapter 7, Paul makes this thing of going, listen, inside my body is, is this very fleshy thing that, that even though I say with my mind, I, I want to follow God, there's this something inside me that just says, don't do these other things. He goes, what a wretched man, I'm lost. He goes, but then he acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the one um, who saves me. He also makes this thing in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He talks about, you know, when we are in our weakest spot, when we're weak, when we acknowledge our weakness, it's in our weakness that we are strong because we realize that we depend upon God. What's impossible for us is possible with God. How many of us like to do the things we're not good at? How many of us like to do the things that we're bad at? Probably not many. And so what we do instead, we find a workaround. We find things to do that we feel like we're probably okay at. But what if our choices, our ways are toxic, corrosive, empty? The only possibility of choosing God and being faithful to that choice is by clinging to Christ. Will we choose the, hu the humanly impossible and depend on God to make it happen? Next, we find we are our own witnesses to the choice we make. You remember in that, in that suzerain vassal covenant, there was this portion for witnesses, and, and Joshua says, listen, you are your own witnesses to this. Your very testimony today is the witness against you for how you will live. You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. Our yes to Jesus. Maybe for you it was a yes long time ago. That yes to Jesus is a testimony. It's on the witness stand for the choices we make today. And maybe we're finding ourselves, gosh, it's, it's not a very good testimony. <laughs> There's the way I've lived and it really has, it has turned away from what God's clear call is on my life. So we have the choice to return, to return and revisit our yes once again. The last thing we'll say is this, the choice required is a heart choice. The choice required is a heart choice. 
In verse 23, Joshua says, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord. The heart, the inner immaterial self, the will, the personality, who we are. Incline who we are to God. You know, being a follower of Christ is not just simply about going to church or participating in our favorite um, uh, programs or ministries or um, uh, meeting together in a particular room or being a part of certain projects. It's not it. It's about having a heart sold out for God. Hearts inclined to the Lord. In fact, when our hearts are inclined to the Lord, that's when transformation happens. We open ourselves up. God, God, work your transformation in us. When our hearts are inclined to God, God takes our pride and fashions it into humility. When our hearts are, are inclined to God, God takes our selfishness and frees it up so that it can become self-sacrificing. When we incline our hearts to God, God takes our hardened hearts and softens them, softens them giving them to compassion. When we incline our hearts to God, God takes our desire for self-preservation and resurrects it into hunger for godly justice. When we incline our hearts to God, God takes our tendencies to hide our faith and unleashes us for bold evangelism and sharing of the gospel. When we incline our hearts to God, God takes us and makes us conduits of his, of his love in this world. So what are our hearts inclined to? You know, in the Great Banquet retreat that we do here, one of the talks mentions that, that uh, a way to assess how our hearts are, are inclined is that we would look at uh, what we tend to think about, um, how we tend to spend our, our time, and what we tend to spend our money on. Maybe that's a good way of being able to take a look at it, just saying, God, where is my heart? Is my heart inclined to you? Here's the choice. Will we incline our hearts toward God? So it turns out that faith is indeed a choice. You know, in this series, we've talked about covenant faith and reluctant faith and shared faith, faithless faith, disobedient faith, Christ-centered faith, faith and costly faith. And you can look all those up through our website or through our church app. Yet it comes to this. It comes to this. In response to being chosen by God, will we choose faith? Will we fear and serve the Lord? You know, the, the record of the people of Israel is not good. <laughs> All the way through the Old Testament, even up through the gospel, even when God sent his own son, his own people rejected him. The people of God's record is not good. And so how about us? What will we choose? What we choose, it's not a donut shop. There's a clear choice. You are chosen. So now let us choose in response. And like Joshua, let us be able to say, as for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. Strongly disagree? Disagree? Neutral? Agree? Strongly agree. May our combined answer, our individual answers, all of our answers, 
we strongly agree. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ through whom we have hope. We thank you for being the one who quickens our hearts, who extends your grace, who gives the gift of faith. God, to whatever extent we have casualized our faith, where we have um, trifled with your call on our lives, would you forgive us? Help us to choose this day you, even if we chose long ago and we've gotten distracted since then. Help us on this day to choose you the best choice ever that we would live for you this day, that we would fear you in awe and wonder, that we would serve you with all sincerity and faithfulness. And that, God, we would know that it just doesn't get any better. It just doesn't get any better than being one of your children. To you be the glory, in Christ's name, amen.